Hello and welcome back again to the Football Index podcast. And sorry if I sound like a cross between Sean Dyche and a cement mixer. I've been recovering from a from a surgery I recently had and my throat's just about feeling okay to host this podcast. Today I've got a special guest, an Italian football and Serie A specialist. His name is Matthew Santangelo, coming to us all the way from New Jersey. So first things first, Matthew, great name, Sant'Angelo. Talk to us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, some people think of it as, you know, uh, some people call it San- Santiago when I get the telemarketers and some people have issues with pronouncing it, but the Italians usually have a pretty good grasp on uh, its pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's quite cool. But uh, so t- tell us a bit about what you do, what you've done in, in terms of kind of Italian football journalism and and kind of I I see that you've got quite a few Twitter accounts that you're affiliated with us tell us a bit about yourself and your background so pretty much I first started uh talking about I'm a Milan fan I first started talking about Milan uh, I'm on on a personal account years and years ago when Twitter first actually started but I felt my my opinions were kind of clogging up my friends feeds and things like that and I really just wanted a home for all of my Milan uh, based opinions and things like that so I pretty much just created a Milan specific account where I can home all those opinions. And then from there, it really just started blossoming. I, I reached out to um, a few of the gentlemen at Italian Football Daily, wrote some guest articles, and then I just kind of grew from there in the uh, football journalism world. I started to pitch some article ideas to some bigger sites like, uh, you know, These Football Times, The Gentleman Ultra, which is more long form journalism who I really do admire for all the work they do because it does take a lot of effort aside from the tactical article or just the basic post-match content that we produce. So I've kind of just been evolving ever since attending games locally here when um, you know those European teams are in the States for some international tournaments in the summer. Some various stuff like that. I've, I've delved into the podcasts. I do uh, social media content for Italian football daily. So I'm pretty much everywhere and I've just try to really be a sponge and just absorb uh, knowledge and, and, and content ideas from uh, the sites and people I admire most. Well, man, that's uh, quite the resume. I mean, it sounds like you've done a hell of a lot uh, with regards to, you know, kind of sports journalism specifically with regards to, you know, Serie A and Italian football. And it's kind of really interesting that you're from the US. How have you, like, how is it, how hard has it been or difficult has it been for you to still stay in touch with the European football side of things being from the US? It's actually pretty easy. And I think, you know, that's, that's a lot of that goes towards, you know, it being 2018 on just the ac- accessibility of, of watching games from different leagues, from lower divisions of leagues, from, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, just getting your content various different ways, podcasts, of course, which is what we're doing here. So it, it's really, you know, pretty easy to get access to what you really want and what you're really interested in. And I'm seeing various fan accounts. I saw a Lazio fan account from Las Vegas. So it gives you, <laughs> just give you a little bit of an idea of, of how popular Syria is in this country without it being probably known around Europe as being the, uh, a country that really does have a passion for the Italian game. So I think it's pretty easy to get the content you want. Obviously, Twitter, I feel, is the biggest platform for that because there's, it's, it's just a wealth of knowledge. There's a bunch of, it's a great community. A banter aside, there's a lot of good content and good, um, and good followers for you to uh, really get what you're looking for. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree with the the Twitter side of things. It's it's just such a great way to 
to market a brand and grow your knowledge as well to be to be honest and um i mean i, I think we'll, we'll try and push forward otherwise we'll be here forever uh, <laughs> but um we had a little bit of chat before we started about football index and how you had actually heard about it before myself got in contact with you and uh it, it's crazy to think that I, I mean it's starting to open in, in canada i think at some point in 2018 but it's crazy to think that a us-based user or the twitter account has actually seen it you know around the block which is is really good and it's a great indication of how fast and how how grandly this platform is growing no absolutely and i think you know we're in that era where where we're talking you know a lot of people are getting the stock market they're looking at bitcoin there's all these different things that people are doing and and, you know trying to diverse themselves in in a, a really competitive field we're seeing player comps we're seeing different articles 10,000 word uh, tactical pieces. So when you start seeing someone, you know, kind of merge a very popular thing like, you know, the stock market with footballers, it's very fascinating. And it's really something I haven't seen before. So that's what kind of draw me drew, uh, drew me to you guys. And, uh, you know, here we are talking about this. So uh, I'm really excited to see uh, how this thing interview goes. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, I think, like, the thing about it, especially in the US, it, like obviously a lot of online gambling is, is kind of not allowed and football index is kind of a cross between traditional sports betting fancy football and like a stock market that's why i kind of say like if you imagine that triangle it's somewhere in the middle and you know in america you've got like DraftKings, which is probably the closest thing that you've got to online gambling right yeah i think that's probably the most popular now i mean aside from the basic fantasy leagues that people do for american football DraftKings is probably the biggest one that's grown the most over the past few years just for the accessibility everything we just talked about but also the ability to win money and the different factors that go into just not picking players each week mm-hmm, for sure i think uh that kind of ability to actually use skill rather than luck is, is also such a prevalent factor in, on football index but i think we'll move on to the first question here uh matthew and, and sorry i haven't actually written down the names of the people who have asked these questions but the first one is do you think Dries mertens will be on the move this summer considering his low buyout clause i absolutely don't i i think Dries mertens he he's one of those players that you know that when he moved to napoli he really kind of not only kicked on and he did very well, despite not maybe not being a regular starter early on when he first moved, but he's one of those guys that has embraced the culture. He has embraced the fans and he's, you know, people call him like an adopted uh, Neapolitan because of, uh, you know, the, the love he has for the city, the city loves him. And of course the success he's having on the field since Maurizio Tsari moved him to more central role last year when Milik went down with an injury where he's pretty much been one of the best forwards in Europe ever since. So I, I don't think Mertens will move. I can see why, you know, there is that possibility because when you look at his buyout clause in a world where the, the fees or the buyout clauses and the money that's being thrown around 25 to 30 million Euro seems like pretty much a drop in the bucket. Right. But mm-hmm. I feel for a guy like Mertens who's so valuable and he's still in his prime and he still has a lot more to offer and he's still so valuable to Napoli. I just don't see how he would be moving. Now, maybe there's the possibility that, um, you know, of course, if Napoli somehow managed to win the Scudetto this year and dethrone Juventus, 
then maybe there's the, there's that possibility where he says, okay, you know, we won the title. I did my job. I did what I wanted to accomplish here. Now I really want to play for a team, maybe like a Manchester United or whoever comes knocking for his signature. So I think a lot of it, lot's going to depend on what happens with Napoli at come May. But I, I'm, if I had to say, I, I would say Mertens does stay at least another year. Yeah, no, I think uh, we wouldn't really have this conversation unless there was that big uh, small buyout clause, sorry, but it is so low. And I'm really surprised that Napoli haven't really pushed for, you know, uh, an extension. Has there been any chat for that? There has. I think they're, they're you know, for, for Napoli, they recently last year just worked out an extension for Insigne, who has obviously grown with that team ever since. He grew up in that, in that city. He grew with that team and he's become their, probably their best player, in my opinion. And there was some there was some chatter that you know there was a possibility that maybe he would leave because him and his his agent and the club were going back and forth with his um, yearly wages, and they finally came to an agreement. I think that's going to be what happens with Mertens. I think there's going to be an extension worked out. Napoli's trying to extend some of their key men moving forward, and I think there's a good possibility that they do extend Mertens with a higher release clause, so they do have some protection there in the event maybe in again a year or two years he does want to kind of test out a new uh, league or you know kind of make a dream move if you will i was just about to say that the the business move for napoli would to probably increase his wages and right. increase that buyout clause a bit and then if someone does come in with 45 for uh, 50 million euros in the summer he's nearly 30 or i think he is 30 like you're probably going to take that as napoli considering you've got milik waiting in the wings they've been linked with uh, simone verdi as well uh who, who seems to be doing very well at uh, bologna is it right yeah, yeah. So I think they would probably be well equipped to to deal without him. Obviously, I mean, a striker who scores thirty goals a season isn't always easy to replace. But I don't think it would be the end of the world for Napoli, personally speaking. But obviously, they they'd like to keep hold of him. I think a lot. Again, a lot. I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot really varies. There's a lot of variables that come into this because you really want to see how Milik responds. But they spent a lot on Milik. Uh, last, not last summer, the summer before from Ajax when they lost Iguain to Juve. So I, he's been played with some in, unfortunate injuries and it's really obviously had taken its toll for him with regards to the national team. So I, I think that has a lot, a lot weighing in here as well. If Milik can come back and he can be a good quality striker, 15 to 20 goals per year, I think that Napoli would be a little bit more comfortable selling, or not selling, but having a bio clause or letting him go on a bio clause, if you will as opposed to him saying, okay, well, we don't know what we're getting really in Milik because we have to wait for him to come back. So we're going to be a little bit more reluctant, a little bit more cautious, because as you just said, to find a goal scorer who can put 25 to 30 goals for 50 million, even out of 30, I mean, you, that, that's that's a pretty much a bargain. I mean, look at what you're spending for guys like Alvaro Morata, Lukaku, mm. who are very good strikers, but none of them put up the numbers that Mertens did last year, and they're probably going for more than double his price. So... Again, yeah, I think really you're totally depends. right. That the striker, sorry to cut you off. The, the striker market these days is crazy. As an Arsenal fan, we've spent you know over 110 million pounds. So that's like what 140 million euros just on Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and Lacazette just to get those goals and, and replace Sanchez. So you'd be thinking that if Mertens does go, they'd be looking at buying kind of like a wide forward player like Verdi. You could get some goals for them, but also, you know, a number nine because Milik isn't dependable from an injury standpoint. Yeah, I, I think, again, there, there's but there's also some concern with Verdi on that front because they tried to get him uh, during the summer, uh, the January transfer window, excuse me. 
he denied them just because he really wasn't ter- too sure what type of role he would play with Sari, who really has his formation set in stone, if you will, with the exception of maybe tinkering a little bit like he did in the Europa League this past week. So I think that was a little bit of a scare for Verdi, who have, is having his breakout year. And while many of us see it joining Napoli as that career move, he really wasn't too sure and, and, and was, was, wasn't comfortable, excuse me, making that in January. Maybe in the summer it's possible because I think they Napoli will be looking for an upgrade over Callejon, who has been great for them over the past several years, but he is, again, creeping up in age. So they do have some things to worry about in the summer, but I think right now their Napoli's focus is, is trying to get to Scudetto, and I think if they can get that, I think, that, again, they would be a little bit more inclined to sell some of their best assets for – um, on the high, on the higher end, just because again of what the market is, I, I think it could be a bit of a, a Monaco situation when they won league. Uh, like you win the league, and then the players can then go to the club and say, "Look, like I've given my heart and soul to this club. We've won the Scudetto. Can I leave?" And they're going to be, as you said, more inclined to say yes. Yeah, that that, and again, I didn't think that's what that's pretty much what the case could be here. And you also look at it and see how it worked with Monaco. Monaco made a pretty deep run into the Champions League as well. And they had, of course, won the league. So they were rated all their top talent. Some of some of the players have done well. Bakayoko has been one of those who has struggled at Chelsea. But of course, we all know what Kylian Mbappe has done at PSG and pretty much what he's going to be for the next 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. So again, in that case, you know, Napoli could be one of those teams where they do see a lot of their main guys leave this summer. But it could be something that, helps them in the long run because they're not a team that really does spend quite a bit on players without having to sell. So a guy like Mertens can fetch them a lot of money. They can maybe bring in some youngsters and they were talking about getting um, Eunice from um, Ajax and that deal kind of looks like it could be in limbo right now. He's a youngster, a German international. So there are some things to consider for the summer, but everything really feels like it does depend on whether they win the Scudetto or not. I feel like that's kind of where everything kind of hangs in the balance yeah and 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 what a what a race it is this year in Serie A I mean uh, every other league seems to be done and dusted and uh, Serie A has just been actually absolutely great to watch this season I mean I watched the um I watched Napoli's game against Lazio the the full one win and the the atmosphere was just electric when they scored that second goal to go in front you could just see what it means to their fans and uh, I mean I think every kind of Every non-Juventus fan wants to see Napoli win that league title. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. I think, you know, they, uh, is, everyone respects Juve. They know how, how tremendous Juve are, how talented they are, and how pretty much they've dominated Italy over the past six years. But I feel that, you know, for, for the neutral, the, on the outside looking in, they, they want to see a new winner. They love to see a team like Napoli who do play such an attractive style of calcio do finally get that title and it would be it would it would be very fascinating for the following year because now all of a sudden Juventus's reign has ended somewhat and then now you got Napoli coming in with a do a new kind of hipster football that I've seen people coin it with sorry so I, I think it's for the sake of the league it would to see a new winner I think it would definitely bode well and especially for those who are looking to get interested in Italian football it would also uh, benefit them as well because they want to see some variation with the leagues that we're really not seeing anywhere else. Yeah, I do, I do think that, as you just said, like actually expanding the Serie A brands, it, it would be great for another winner. But I just do hope that if they do win, it isn't that kind of 
kind of how it happens in the Bundesliga where every once every 10 years there's another team like Stuttgart, Dortmund who come in and win the league and then they just kind of disappear. Um, I, I do hope that that Napoli will continue to, to build after the season, whether or not they do win the Scudetto. But we'll, we'll move on to the next question because we've spent quite a lot of time on, on Napoli and, and Dries Mertens. This is on uh, Milinkovic Savic, who, who's had an excellent breakout year as well. And it is just how good is Sergei Milinkovic Savic and how far can he go? Fantastic player. One of those players who you, even if you're not a big fan of Italian football or even Lazio, or even if you're not even a fan of, you're a fan of Serie A and you really don't have a vested interest in Lazio, Milinkovic Savic is one of those players that you'll turn on the television to watch on a regular basis just because you feel that from a midfield position, he's one of those players that you, you tend to hone in on throughout 90 minutes and because you know the impact he can provide going forward, going backward, and what he really does to open up the field of play for everyone else to thrive. There's a lot of players in, there's a handful of players in world football that he's kind of been compared to. One of them has been Paul Pogba. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, everyone knows who he is. Uh, going forward, a very fantastic attacking option, but someone who can spray the ball around, someone who's physical in the air, just a really a well-versed and well-rounded footballer. And when he's coming from a midfield position, in 2018, those players have a tremendous value on the market. So I, I think he's a player who, let's face it, his future's not at Lazio. He's one of those players who has been getting interest from PSG, Real Madrid, Manchester United. So even Juventus fans have been raving about him and hoping that he can bring him in. But based on the relationship that Lazio's president, Lotito, has with Juventus directors, that seems like it's going to be a pretty difficult situation or a difficult deal to pull off for them. So my guess is a guy like Milinkovic Savic is probably going to wind up moving next summer for, I want to call it somewhere around Paul Pogba money. I really mm, do. I feel like sure. the market, with the way the market's going for midfielders, for a midfielder of his caliber and what he can bring and what he can really do to help an entire team. We saw what Matic did with Manchester United or what he's been doing and helping a guy like Paul Pogba be himself and do what he needs to do. I feel like a guy like Milinkovic Savic, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he moves for 85 to 100 million. I really do see that happening. He's just that good. And he's, again, his age on his side, he's, he has had that breakout year for a team like Lazio, who has been getting quite a bit of attention this year for the brand of football they've been playing. So Milinkovic Savic, the sky's the limit for him. He's one of those players that, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see at the World Cup, but definitely one to keep an eye on as the season progresses in the second half. I mean, he is just a great player to watch, isn't he? He's, uh, he's about 6'4", technically perfect, isn't he? And uh, I always like to explain him as basically the white Paul Pogba with potentially more goals. Do you think that's kind of fair? I think so. I, I think, it, you know, it, it really depends on the system he's, he's played in. Um, real quick, I just want to make a correction here. Serbia will be in the World Cup, so we definitely... I was definitely just about to say, sorry. Yes, I, yes, was, so, I, was, I was double I thought, checking. I, I thought about it, yes. Serbia will be in the World Cup, so we'll be able to see him on display, which, you know, will only benefit him if he does have a great tournament because obviously, as you know, when those players uh, of that caliber have a great uh, summer tournament, the value tends to skyrocket and teams mm-hmm. will be a little bit more willing to pay more money because of what they've seen. So, I think for Milinkovic Savic, look, the comparison with Paul Pogba, I could see where people get it, but I feel he's just a slightly different player. He's someone who, I don't know, he's skilled on the ball, it's like Pogba. He has all those similar qualities. So I feel like that's the, probably the best comp 
but we really don't know how he would kind of be able to replicate that in a different formation. I don't know if that if you get what I'm saying there. Because yeah, still, sure. What he's playing right now at Lazio, he has the keys. So if you throw him in a team like Manchester United, we really don't know how he would play as a vice Pogba or a vice Matic. So I, I really don't know, to be honest. But I think it's a very fair comparison to make based on what we see. Yeah, I, th- I think I, 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 I kind of kept my eye on him in the first half of, again, the Napoli-Lazio game. And he just, some of the touches and, you know, they didn't have much possession, obviously, because Napoli is such a possession-oriented team. It, it was just stunning, some of the things that he was doing. He's, for me, probably one of the best players or definitely one of the top five under 23 players in the in the world um i mean you, you talk about your mbappes as well as we were previously but he is he is definitely up there and i'm sure he's going to be one of those players in the future that's going to be one of the the top top players in the world really yeah you could definitely make that case i think you know when you look at his his entire repertoire physically technically it's just it it translate well to you know any pretty much any league and i think any team would, would be thrilled to have him whether it be real madrid whether it be united i mean i think a, a real madrid if we're talking about where he could possibly land i think there's going to be a bit of a shake up with real madrid's uh, structure sure. so that 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 seems like a real possibility especially if they were to sell a guy like bale or you know benzema leaves and if, you know they have a little bit of money to kind of play around with i feel like he doesn't really may not fit in all that well with with a Manchester United, I just feel like you know when you have Matic, you have Pogba, they they kind of seem like uh, well at least with him and Pogba, they seem like similar players in that regard. So it's going to be fascinating. I mean, I think his future again, like I said earlier, is away from Rome. But regardless of who uh, who gets him, is, is they're getting a fantastic player for sure. Someone who's going to be one of the mainstay players for their midfield for the next seven to ten years at least. Yeah, definitely. I think he's, again, as you said, like, you know what you're going to get with Kylian Mbappe for the next nine to 10 years. You probably know what you're going to get with SMS for the next seven to eight, maybe even nine years if he's durable enough. But I think, yeah, the Real Madrid link is is quite quite curious, isn't it? Because they do have quite a lot of ageing players in the midfield. I think Luka Modric is, is over 30. Cruz is probably, you know, at his peak now, but he's not going to improve from here. Casemiro is obviously the young one in there. Of course, Gareth Bale is nearly 30. Isco never really plays in the position that he wants to play. And then you've got Asensio as well, who looked like this was going to be his breakout year. It hasn't played as much. Obviously, Ronaldo is like 32, 33. Benzema again, over 30, and he just doesn't score enough. I know his link-up play is like up there with the best centre-forwards in the world, but is Benzema leaving and we're going to see a more CR9 rather than a CR7? Because that's kind of what he's transitioned into, isn't it? A number nine rather than number number seven. And I don't really know where that leaves Benzema. And if that does happen, does Isco play out wide? Does he want to do that? So I think, as you said, there is going to be a massive shake-up, especially if uh, they do go for a, for a hazard and they do go for a central midfielder and they do go for a defender, maybe even a goalkeeper. There's there's obviously been talk of uh, Thibaut Courtois and uh, David De Gea every single summer, of course. But I think the other one that a lot of players, uh, people haven't linked uh, Milinkovic Savage too is is Chelsea and obviously Conte has the Serie A link probably has a lot of scouts and, and people that he knows who he can talk to there it's whether or not Chelsea can actually finally fill that Frank Lampard void in, in terms of goals from midfield well there is the fact there is that, that very funny that you say that because I think that it we really don't know whether or not Conte is going to stay on past sure. May so if he does stay 
And I think there is a still little bit of a possibility that he does, although there is interest from the national team. There is interest from possibly PSG or Bayern Munich, who may be looking for a new manager. Would Conte maybe go the route of a cheaper option, someone who he has admired for years when he was the coaching in Italy at Juve? And I'm talking about Rajan Angolan, because Rajan Angolan, though he does have, um, obviously, that that thirty that here that age thirty on his side, and he has those he has maybe those little bit of the, that off field controversy at New Year's. He has a smoking background, of course, that everyone is familiar with. He's always loved Raja Nangolan, and when Nangolan's playing, there's no doubt Nangolan's one of those players that's from a midfield position can get you goals. Can he's can defend. He can really ignite a team, and I think that's also a possibility as well because I don't know if his future is. At Roma, past this year, I think although he did sign a contract extension, there is that possibility that maybe Chelsea go for someone like that because they spent a lot of money on Bakayoko. I, I mean, I don't know what his future is. I don't know if he's going to be maybe loaned out or sold or whatever the case is. But they have to pl- look at that as well and say, well, are we going to spend another seventy, eighty million on another player? Like from the midfield position, we, we just we just spent that money. So I, I don't know. But again, I think Milinkovic Savic. Look, he would fit in right at Chelsea. But it really just depends on who's coaching and um, you know with the system they run out. Yeah, that, that's that's so true. I think uh, Atura Vidal has, has been more linked with Chelsea as well, and I think it does kind of make sense for them to get someone who's a bit more experienced so that they can kind of help ease Bakayoko in because he's really struggled to adapt to the Premier League this season. So getting someone in like a Nyangolan or a, a Tora Vidal who who could just come in play really well for a season or two and then allow the Bakayoko. And obviously, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's been alone at uh, Crystal Palace, who's had his breakout year, unfortunately injured recently, is probably going to be back at Chelsea next season. He's going to be wanting to play as a starter, whether that's in that you know central midfield spot or on the left, as he has been playing for Crystal Palace. But it's really interesting what, what Chelsea are going to do in the summer, especially with the, the coaching position. But we'll, we'll move on from uh, Chelsea, Milinkovic, Savage, and wherever he could go. The next question, and I, again, I don't know where this has come from, but is Pietro Pellegri as good as they say, the 16-year-old that's recently gone to Monaco? So for, for those who obviously probably don't know who Pietro Pellegri is, he is a uh, teenage version or striker, ver- teenage striker version of Adana Roma. And what I mean by that is 16, 17 years old, Big frame, tall kid, uh, has that baby face. So he has kind of like that uh, that appeal, if you will. If you look at him, he looks like a player that um, is confident, has a little bit of a cocky arrogance to him, but that does transmit on the pitch. Um, he actually recently made his move to Monaco, a big move, 24 million euros. He was some, there was some interest from Juve um, and a little bit abroad. So uh, for, for me, if we're going to get to really what type of player he is and if he was worth the fee they spent, I would say, based on what we're seeing, again, with the money, we saw it with Ousmane um, Dembele, we saw it with Kylian Mbappe. Teams are, they're, they're not, how can I say this? They're, they're, they were, they're paying for what they could possibly get from a player down the line versus what a player has accomplished already. And what I mean by that is a player who's maybe 27, 28, maybe has, you know, the average player has maybe a couple more good years ahead of him. But is a team going to be willing to pay, you know, 40, 50 million euro on a player who's maybe kind of on the decline. So when you see a guy like Pellegri from Monaco, it just seems like standard practice from them, right? The young kid, they can get him. Even if he plays two, three years from them, he scores a lot of goals. They can flip him for 70, 80 million euro. And that's kind of been what their, their business model is over the past several years. We saw it with, um, 
you Yannick Carrasco. We saw it with Mbappe. We saw it with Bakayoko. Probably the same case with Lamar. It just seems like a great move and great business move for Monaco because let's face it, they're a team that's going to be rated of their top players each Again, and every yeah. summer. But when you look at a guy like Pellegri, I feel that it's a good environment for, environment for him to grow in. He's going to be away from a team like Juve, who, let's face it, probably wouldn't be offering him first team minutes from the jump like Monaco probably could a little bit more frequently this year. He's already made his debut yesterday in a 4-0 home win against Dijon. Came on to replace Kate Baldi, who's another talented guy. So he's going to be around, he's going to have a little bit less pressure and a little bit less spotlight on him because he's out of that Italian media. So when you look at Pellegrini, uh, I'm actually doing just a little bit of a teaser. I'm doing, I did an article for Scouted Footballs. Uh, they do a, a yearly uh, book about the top under 23 youngsters and I actually wrote about him in that book. It comes out later this month. He's a guy that's, you know, he has a little bit, when you look at him, these are tall, tall uh, boots to fill, of course, or big shoes to fill, rather, but a little bit of like a young Ibrahimovic in him, someone who is a clinical finisher, someone who has a little bit of that, again, that arrogance, but that really works well for him. He's very confident in his ability, someone who is pretty good on the ball, though he still needs a little bit of work with, uh, you know, obviously his weak foot. For me, if we're looking about, is he worth the hype? I feel he definitely is. I feel he's one of those players who is going to thrive in Monaco once he's given that proper time under Yardim to, to improve and to progress that he really wasn't getting with um, getting with. I mean, he was playing a little bit, of course, with Genoa, but he wasn't playing as much as he probably wanted to and probably more than he should. So $25 million for a guy who's 16, 17 years old in this market, it seems like a good risk for them to take, even if they sell him two years down the line for double that, because that's just, again, what Monaco's business model is. Yeah, and like very low risk investment for Monaco, isn't right. it? And I mean, as you said, like his stature, like I had a look at him when obviously all these links came out and I hadn't really, I obviously heard of him because obviously when a 16 year old scores goals for the first team in Serie A, you're going to see it all over Twitter. So did have a look at him and to be he doesn't look 16 does he he looks more like 26 rather than 16 in, in terms of his stature he's got the, the the arm sleeve tattoo and like uh he looks a lot older than 16 and i think um when you see him like highlights of him playing for the under 17s it just looks like a man amongst boys doesn't he yeah yeah he does he's one of those kids that i think you're gonna see him just continue to grow and to continue to get that praise and you know in, in an era where you know Italian strikers or good Italian strikers are few and far in between. Yes, we do have Immobile and Belotti and a couple others who are talented. You're really looking for that next wave because we know we so much affiliate Italian uh, the number nine or that that role of with Italians to you know the previous years. There's so many big names, the Inzaghis, the Del Piero, some of those guys who played in that were that central role that were strikers and who thrived. When you're looking at guys like Pellegri and Cutrone of Milan, those are the names you really look for to kind of carry uh, the Italian, uh, that, that role into the future. And for Pellegri, he's making those climbs pretty quickly. He's already featured for the under-19 team. There is a possibility that you know within the next six months, he does probably get a call up to the under-21 side. So, you know, for, for again, getting back to, to what the market calls for, he's, he's 16 years old. These teams are making these investments now because they know that in a year or two, it's going to be too late. A team like Monaco may not be able to spend $40 million on a player like that and hope that he pans out. $25 million right now in this market is a good risk to take, assuming he does play enough to where he can shine through and really grow because that was a little bit of the concern, in my opinion, from, on his, from his standpoint, why he maybe didn't want to go to Juve is that he would have 
join Juve, obviously they have the tradition, the history, they have success in, in, in everything like that. But there was that cloud hanging over his head. Well, well am I going to play? If Monaco is going to give me an opportunity to play first team football and to get a little bit more of the spotlight so early on in my career, I'm going to go that route. Not to mention it's going to work well for my career because if I have a couple good seasons, I can really have you know a little bit more options to survey. Now, there's a possibility that maybe he does return to Italy down the line. There were links last summer to Milan, Juve, a bunch of the teams wanted him. So there's an interest is always going to be there, especially from his home country. So for me, from this standpoint, Pellegrini made a really good decision to go to Monaco. I think they'll, they'll take care of him well. He'll grow. And then again, he's 16. He's 16 years old. He's got tons of years ahead of him where he can really thrive and be uh, you know, one of Italy's best strikers. And I think you know, at Monaco, he's really going to get the opportunity to prove what, he is, uh, what he's all about. Yeah, for sure. And I think he's probably looking at Kylian Mbappe and, you know, what he's done. And obviously, Thomas Lamar is probably going to leave this summer. Fabinho as well. He, he kind of sees that if he does want to go in the future, he's going to have that opportunity. And obviously, Falcao is like 32, 33 years old now. It's He's going to get that opportunity potentially as a number nine, maybe sooner rather than later. And obviously, Falcao has that kind of injury, um, you know, history behind it as well. You never know if he's gonna be able to continue how durable he is so yeah a good, a good move by him I think it was either stay at, in Italy and actually thrive or you know go abroad to test yourself like like Keita Balde has done and he's looking like he's coming in some form but we'll move on to the next question and uh, this is back we're moving back to Naples and this is why have no big teams come in for Lore- uh, Lorenzo Insigne yet I actually think several teams have come in for Lorenzo Insigne, but I think the problem is that he doesn't want to leave. He's mm. a player that is, is so, you know, he's he's an icon in that city. They love him. He loves them. It's, it's he's, you know, he's, look, he's going to be, he's the kind of the heir to Mara Kamsik in terms of the captain captaincy. I think that's kind of obvious when you really look at it. He plays that, uh, that number 10 role, that playmaker role for them as well. When you when you look at a guy like Insigne, he's he's not even in the prime of his career. He's still got more to offer, more to more to give to Napoli. And I think this, you know, in this Scudetto run they're on, he's going to play a big role. Hamshik hasn't been as good as he has in previous years. So Lorenzo Insigne, it's, I think it's kind of a little bit up to him in that regard to kind of carry the torch forward and really make sure that Napoli do find themselves in that first place spot on the podium come May. But in terms of interest abroad. I think it's been there. I, I, I've, I've heard links with Liverpool. I, I've seen links with um, Barcelona you know, as well. Barcelona. And I think we really don't see, you know, I mean, you can agree or disagree on this. I, I really, we really don't see many Italians move abroad uh, for a big mm-hmm. money. I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, a lot of dedication. There's a lot of things that go into it. I feel like they, they're really a, attached to their home cities. And I think Lorenzo Insigne, based on his status in Naples, I just can't see him leaving. If he just signed an extension, he got his wages. He loves it there. They love him. There's no issues. Um, you know, I, I think maybe could things change in a couple of years, perhaps. But I think the interest has been there. The money is coming in for him because they know what type of player he is. The problem is, that I just don't think he's going to be able to be convinced. I really don't. I mean, you say the heir to, to Marek Hamshik. Could he potentially be the heir to Diego Maradona? Whew. <laughs> that's 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 tricky. I mean, I don't. I look. I, I think you know. It's it's comparing them. It's so difficult because of the eras. A Maradona icon in that city. Anywhere you go, you see statues. You see 
you know, people loving him, people still praising him, banners, everything, even after each game, each weekend, they're praising him. And the same thing with Marek Hamšík. He's, you know, they're they're icons of that city. And I think Marek Hamšík, he put out a a a brilliant piece for Players Tribune, not him specifically, but him speaking on that he's had opportunities to leave as well. He's been there for quite some time. He's now their all-time leading scorer. He's the captain. He he's not going anywhere. And I think it's something. It says a lot about what type of you know appeal that destination has. We talked about with Mertens. Mertens loves it there. Insigne loves it there. Hamšík loves it there. All these players they love playing there because they love the atmosphere. They love the city. They love the culture. They love the people. That's what I think is so difficult uh, for for other teams to lure him. But what also makes it fascinating, a fascinating or appealing destination for youngsters. We're seeing it with a top to bottom. Jorginho is another one who's been linked to the Premier League with Manchester United. He loves it there. They, these guys are starting their, their big key players at their club. They're comfortable. They're going to get paid well, regardless of where they play. They don't another see- one is, sorry to cut you off, another one is Koulibaly, isn't it? He was heavily linked with Chelsea last summer. It looked like he was actually going to go. And recently he's come out and said that he, he loves it in Naples. Yeah, it's it's you know listen, they it's the, I feel like that's well a lot of those players it's we so much think of it as but the money oh they're offering six million in wages you're only getting paid two right now we're offering you Champions League football we're offering you the possibility of titles there's a lot of players who who will jump at that no problem and and I I have no issues with that you get the money uh, this is a it's a business also some people you don't know what your career is going to end up like you can get injured the next case so that money's not guaranteed I understand that but then there's some people that say you know what. My family's comfortable here. I love it here. Why would I want to leave? I'm getting paid well. It's it's to make that change right now in my career. I'm not ready for it. Koulibaly, I think, is a one player who, if we're going to get on him real quick, I think he'll eventually be sold just because I think the market for central defenders just keeps going up. We saw it with, with Laporte. We saw it with you know Stones. We saw we see it every year pretty much with that Van position. Dyke as well, yeah. Van Dyke as well. So look, I think it's it's easier. The money is always going to be there. If a team threw 70 million or 60 million at Napoli for Insigne, he probably wouldn't want to leave. I, I, if I'm being honest with you, I just think that it's, there's a lot to be said about Italians not wanting to leave their home country. And whether that's because they maybe don't, really don't have a good track record abroad is maybe something that kind of plays into it. But we saw but with Belotti. Belotti had an interest abroad. They, Chelsea wanted him. Some other teams wanted him. There was interest probably from Arsenal or Man United. He didn't want to leave. The team didn't want to sell him. So it, it, to get a player to come out of his zone where he's really comfortable, really satisfied, that's the most difficult thing. But for Insigne, a big offer has come in probably from Liverpool, but he's just I just don't see him leaving. I kind of agree, to, to, and I echo a lot of what you've said. I think the only thing that I can see potentially happening, and this is obviously very hypothetical, is if Marisari went abroad to, I don't know, Madrid, potentially a Barcelona in a couple of years, depending on how um, how Valverde does there. Maybe to a Chelsea, to a, you know, I, you know, Guardiola always seems to be on the move really quickly if, if he left Manchester City. Then maybe some of those players would kind of want to go with him because he's grown a lot of them, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's, without question, Maurizio Sarri has played a big role in some of the Napoli's key players this year and over the past several years. But I don't know. I just feel that with Insignia, he's one of those players that seems almost as close to untouchable as possible at Napoli. I think a guy like Jorginho could move. Koulibaly, I think, is definitely on his way out maybe two years, I would say, because he's he's at that age where he's 26, 27. Eventually, he's going to want to make a big move to, you know, uh, as you just mentioned, at Chelsea or a Man United or 
a club of that stature, but Insigne just feels like one of those untouchable players to me and really feels like the guy who's going to be given that armband once Hamshik decides to leave. So, or decides to kind of hang it up, if you will. But again, who knows? Stranger things have happened. I don't think many people expected a guy like Bonucci to want to leave. I was just about to say. (laughs) So, so, you know, it kind of remains to be, look, nothing shocks me in the modern game. The money's outrageous. The opportunity is outrageous. But Insigne, I just can't see him anywhere else. But it would kind of hurt me. I mean, I'm not even a Napoli fan, but if he left, it would kind of be a, a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth because I'd love to see a guy like him stay in Naples in, uh, in Naples and finish his career there as like their uh, their big club icon, you know, born and raised and everything like that. It just feels like the right fit for him. Yeah, no, I think uh, Lorenzo Insigne, fabulous player and, and it looks like a loyal guy, I think as well. Probably their future captain. Uh, we'll move on to the next question though. And uh, this is, will Paolo Dybala be at Juventus next season? Whew. Um, it, it's tricky because there have been several, you know, cases this year where he's been sitting on the bench and, and not playing. And then the rumors come out that he's going to be leaving. There was interest in the, in the January transfer window reportedly from, um, you know, foreign clubs to buy him in January, which wasn't going to happen regardless of what his situation was at the team. For a guy like Dybala, look, he's the links. He's Argentinian. He's small. He's a good attacker he's a dribbler he's Juve's number 10 everyone immediately kind of looks and says he's the new Messi and when you kind of throw that type of um, pressure or that type of nickname or or label on someone you kind of feel that okay he's going to be this guy this guy is he's going to command quite a bit of money now for Juventus Juventus are a team that obviously is a great destination for young players to stay and when you give a guy like Paulo, Paulo Dybala the number 10 you kind of make it seem like we're handing you. This is where you're our best player. We're giving you the team. This is the key. this is your baby. We're going to need you to carry this team forward for the next five to ten years, right? But at the same time, Juventus have had a transfer policy that's kind of been a little bit frustrating for your supporters to take. And what that is is that if a player wants to leave, they won't hold him against his will. We saw that with Paul Pogba. They gave him the number ten. He had a fantastic year, and then he wound up le- he wound up leaving. For a big fee, of course, but they don't tend to have, they don't want to keep restrict players that don't want to be there, right? And I think that's kind of what sometimes tends to happen. What you saw in a little bit of a way with Liverpool, they kind of were playing hardball with Coutinho, or we're not going to sell him right now, and, and whatever the case was. For a team like Juve, if a big, big money is going to come in for him, Real Madrid, Barcelona, United, pick, 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 a, pick a big team. If he wants to leave, He's, got, he's going to leave and Juventus won't hold him against his will. But they'll command the, the kitchen sink for him, of course. If we're, if we're talking about whether he's going to stay on next season, if I had to put a percentage on him staying, I'd probably say 40%, I would have actually expected it to be a bit higher. I, I think I've listened to a lot of uh, Italian-based podcasts and, and like list, uh, read a lot of things that basically kind of insinuate that he'll probably be there next season and then like next summer will be the season where he goes for the big money when he's actually about to become one of the best players in the world i and i could see that i could totally see that i just think that with with him i mean it's again if when you're looking at a player like him he has come out and said he'd love to play for with with a like a Lionel messi he loved to play with some of these guys now 
I think it's obvious he's going to be sold. He's not going to be one of those players that stays long-term because those players don't exist anymore. The Del Pieros, <laughs> the Totis, those, they really don't exist in modern football. It's, that's just what it is, and I think that's what fans have to kind of understand that when you, when you have a great player of that caliber, there's the good possibility that he's going to leave. It's just the way it works. Dybala is, I listen, I, either way, if he left, it wouldn't surprise me. It's gonna, he's going to command a ton of money. He's going to mm. move for a big fee. That's just, that's just definitely going to happen. But could it depend on what the status of Juve is at the end of the year? I'm talking, who's the coach? Is Allegri going to stay? Is, do they win the Champions League? Are they dethroned and no longer the, the, the champions of Italy? So when you start throwing those things into there, again, Dybala's won titles. He's been to Champions League finals. He's, had, uh, he's, he's accomplished these things. I think when you're at 23-24, there is that possibility that maybe he does want to move, move on. But again, if I had to say if, if he stays or not, I, I would say about maybe 30 to 40%. I, I'd say I just, I just think that he's, you know, he's, his future is not at the team. And if a big offer comes in and he says, I want to leave, Juventus are not going to hold him against that. He's definitely going to be one that's going to be in the papers pretty much the whole of summer and, and during the World Cup as well, isn't he? But uh, I think as we were like talking about before, it just so much it, like so much depends on what like Real Madrid and Barcelona do. And I know Barcelona don't really have that much money this summer. I, I know a lot of people have linked them with you know Antoine Griezmann for 100 million euros and Arthur from uh, Gremio for about 40 million euros and all these other players for for quite a lot of money. The, the reality is that Barcelona have just spent like 140 million euros on Coutinho. The new contract that they're given Lionel Messi is extraordinary. They're probably going to have to extend uh, Iniesta and probably Luis Suarez and Gerard Piquet, who will probably demand quite a lot of money. So you're looking at a Barcelona who might not actually have that much money in the summer unless they sell. So for me, I'm not sure about the, you know, Dybala to Barcelona this summer at least I think if he was going to go to Spain it'd probably be more likely to be Real Madrid because they do need that that mm-hmm. spark especially in La Liga this season they've been quite poor yeah I, I think again Paulo Dybala is one of those players that he's his next move is going to be that next move that big move of his career but I feel you know there's there's there is that possibility that maybe Manchester United now listen I know they 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 got Lukaku they or Manchester, or Manchester City. I, I, I mean, again, any team that with 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 money to money to blow will probably be interested. But he has a good relationship with Paul Pogba. I mean, I think there is a possibility that maybe he does, um, you know, want to look that route to Manchester. But look, either way, I, I feel that Juventus would love to would love to keep him. It goes without saying. But I think there's is that possibility where um, he does leave in the summer, just because I feel like. He's the money's going to come in somewhere, somewhere, somewhere along the way. Someone's going to throw 130, 140, 150 million at this guy or at Juve. And for a team like Juve, who have done well in replacing those star players, they lost Vidal, they lost Paul Pogba, Pirlo retired. They have done well and they do need to fill some areas in their squad, the midfield, um, you know, in, in defending. There's Barzagli and Chiellini. Those guys are not getting any younger. So, the, there is that that possibility that he does leave, and I'd probably say that it's, it is around um, you know uh, him staying rather would be, would be around forty percent. But you know, stranger things have happened. If he stays another year or two, I wouldn't be shocked either way. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I think uh, always one that's linked with with massive teams, isn't it? We'll move on to the next question. This is quite broad, so you've probably had time to think about this one beforehand. But who are the best young talents in Syria that no one is talking about? So when we first when we look at Serie A, we'll obviously look at the big teams for the best players, right? Milan, Juve, Inter, Napoli, Roma, 
Lazio, but I feel like when you have to really look towards that middle of the table and lower part of the table for some of those hidden gems. And I think, you know, I always, I, I've kind of become a little bit of a, a Sampdoria fanboy this year because I feel they have so many young talents that people are going to be looking at. Uh, Lucas Herrera's one that m- pretty much is is on, is kind of on. He's no longer um, a hidden gem, if you will, but some people probably still don't know about him. Uh, David Kalnowski, the Polish striker at Samp, is another one that people should definitely keep an eye on. Especially there is um, if if he does in fact get a call up for, by uh, Adam Navalka for the World Cup um, this summer. Udinese has several. They um, Seko Fafana, I believe he actually came from Manchester City. Uh, he's a good, talented midfielder, can box-to-box type presence. Um, Antonin Barak and Jakob Yankto, Czech internationals, have had foreign interests from Arsenal um, and pretty much several other clubs in Europe. Nicolo Borella, he's uh, at Cagliari. He's a good box-to-box player, 20 years old. He's one of the future gems for the Italian national team. Um, Moise Kane. Moise Kane's another one. He's actually mm. owned by Juve. He's on loan at Elas Verona. He's a Mino Raiola client. He's another one you definitely want to keep an eye on the second half of the year because Elas Verona are trying to battle up from that relegation zone. And I think he's one of those players that can possibly help them get out there. But his future is most likely at Juve. He's just a very talented individual. Um, let's see. Roma. And he's probably, sorry to, to, yeah. to go back to Moise Keane, but he's probably the reason that you know Juventus didn't really try that hard for Pietro Pellegrini. Bring up a good point. Absolutely, I think they kind of see uh, Moise Kane as the, uh, the 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 future for their for their front line. So um, you know that he's he's another fascinating player to watch. Roma Cengiz Under. He's uh, mm. some people have kind of compared him to a Turkish Paulo Dybala. He has kind of that longer hair. He's good on the ball, very uh, skilled, if you will, and he's just scored Man, again today. today. Oh. He's, he's a fantastic talent, and he was kind of one of those players where many did not know who he was, including myself. I actually had a chance to watch him live, one of his first games. In, um, it was in New Jersey, actually. It was Roma versus Tottenham. He came off the bench, and he was fantastic. And I feel that you know he's finally getting that opportunity for, for under Eusebio Di Francesco to play, and he's really helping carrying Roma these past couple weeks for sure. So those are probably some of the top guys that I think many people may not know. But if we're looking at Lazio, I would say there is, um, you know, they do have a good young goalkeeper in uh, Strakosha, Albanian, 23 years old. He's one that I think if you're looking at good young goalkeepers, definitely to keep an eye on. Everyone knows Donnarumma as well. Um, those are pretty much more, more, some of the main guys. If, if we're looking at the Italian national team uh, picture and guys who could possibly play a role there, I would probably say uh, Antonio Barreca. He plays for Torino. Good young fullback. Leonardo Spinazzola is another. Uh, Brian Cristante at Atalanta. He was uh, a Milan product. He didn't do too well there. He really didn't get an opportunity. He moved to Benfica. And now he's pretty much back at Atalanta where he's started to get interest from Roma, Juve, and a couple other teams abroad. So those are probably some of the top guys that no one's talking about. But there'll be sure that there'll be more coming in the second half of the season. Yeah, for sure. I think Jenga uh, Zunda, for example, has just exploded out of nowhere. I don't think a lot of people knew about him, but uh, I mean, what a goal he scored today. It was absolutely extraordinary. But I mean, I think Matt has just uh, rattled off a, a hell of a lot of names for you guys to, to check out on, on the index and see how they're doing. And uh, yeah, maybe some of those guys will be, you know, the next, you know, Lionel Messi's and Paul Pogba's of the world. But we'll move on to the next question. And that is, and being a Milanista yourself, can the Milan clubs challenge next season? 
I, I think they can. I, I think for, for Inter, we're seeing it start with them. Whereas we saw it this year, they, they actually held sole possession of first place. Um, of course, Mauro Riccardi has been at the heart of that over the past several years, and he's been a, the big reason why they've accomplished that. They have slipped a bit, but they are still in that Champions League zone. So for a team like Inter, um, you're definitely starting to see that progress being made after several difficult years for them with regards to their managerial situation and some of the players and some of the transfer uh, activity they've conducted that hasn't really worked. So I think a team like Inter, you're definitely going to see them uh, you know, kind of trend upward and kind of stay, stay the course and have their name year in and year out in that Champions League discussion. For Milan... I think it's still kind of difficult. I think, you know, with the new ownership, um, the, the managerial situation we saw in Montella, he had all this, these expensive new players to work with. It really didn't work out. Now Gattuso is doing a fantastic job with him in an interim role right now. I, I feel like that Milan project is still kind of like a two to three year thing where Milan fans can really feel confident that, okay, we can be a regular uh, feature in that top four discussion. I think there is that little bit of that window opening now where, they can possibly creep into the Champions League discussion this year, but it's, it's still a little bit of a difficult spot. So if we're talking about strictly next year and we're not looking at anything that's going to shape up in the second half of this season, I think the Milan clubs can definitely challenge um, for uh, maybe not a Scudetto. I feel like Napoli, Juve are still the kind of the cream of the crop. But again, with a team like Napoli that we just touched on earlier, if they were to win a Scudetto and then maybe they did lose some of their best players and a team like Juventus is throned, uh, dethroned, now maybe that leaves a little bit of a gap for some of the teams like Roma or Lazio to kind of or Milan or Inter to kind of jump in and really make it a really competitive stacked top five six team. So next season seems like a pretty good year for both the uh, the Milanese clubs to kind of jump into that discussion to really compete for silverware. Yeah, no, I think uh, one of the most important things for Inter particularly will probably be keeping them their best players isn't it and that that kind of leads on to the next question quite nicely and is will Mario Cardi and Milan Skriniar be at Inter Milan next season also a Milan Skriniar because I feel like Mario Riccardi is a little bit more of a uh, difficult one to assess for Milan Skriniar he two summers ago he was bought by Sampdoria for pretty much nothing and that's pretty much been Sampdoria's model they've expanded outside of Italy and really been looking so, to some of those Eastern European, Southern, uh, Southern Europe type regions for talent. And you know, Patrick Schick was another guy they bought on the, on the cheap and they sold him to Roma for about around 35 million euro. Milan Skriniar was one of them where he had a breakout year for Samp who, who had a fantastic season last year and an even better one now. And he made a big move to enter and he's been probably a top three defender this year in Serie A, which is a testament to just really how much he's grown over the past two seasons, he's gotten interest from Manchester City. When you start getting interest from those big clubs after so little time of being a success in a league, it speaks volumes of what these teams see in this player moving forward. A, t- a guy like Skriniar, who's 22-23, a guy that you can bring into your system and he can grow and he could be kind of a pillar in the back. A guy like Skriniar, I, I feel like he would probably stay another year. But I, when Inter has or the Inter has some little bit of some issues with their books and on the financial side of things, so if if selling a guy like Skriniar for sixty million, if you will, I throw, I'm just throwing a figure out there, can get them a guy like Pastore from PSG, who they have been looking at for quite some time. Maybe they do make that trade off, but then you got to look at the fact that okay, well, if they look at their back line, 
Jao Miranda is not getting any younger, and Milan Skriniar is one of those guys that can be a, a fundamental piece for their project moving forward. So they're going to play some hardball. If if, Mil- if Inter do get a big offer for Skriniar, it's not going to be something that they take for $40, 50000000 million. They're going to play some hardball because they know what they have in him. So I feel if I had to say if he's going to stay at the team next year, I'd probably say yes. There are some good. There's a good. Uh, there's good chance that he does remain. But again, I wouldn't be surprised um, if he does leave either way, as we just talked about earlier. Now, on Mauro Riccardi, the captain of the team, the scored over a hundred goals with the team since he's only twenty four years old. And this guy is he's the, he's a fundamental piece of their team. He is right now Inter's best player. That goes without saying. However. There's a little bit some back and forth going on here. Um, you know, there's Real Madrid's going to be looking for a striker. We talked about it with Benzema um, and, and pretty much some of the other guys in their squad that are getting up there in age. Real Madrid's going to look for a shakeup. Um, his release clause is a little bit over 100 million euros, which for the market, for strikers who of his caliber, of his repertoire and everything he provides, is about right, if, if, if you would agree with me on that. Around that 110, so too, yeah. 110 think, uh... 120 million. In, in terms of number nines at the moment, we're, we're looking at Mario Cardi kind of evolve to to be nearly in a class above the Alvaro Moratas and Romelu Lukaku's. I think he's he's that good, really, isn't he? Yeah, Mario Riccardi, he's a guy that really just needs the one touch to, to kind of uh, break the game open or to win a game. He did it against Milan in the first derby this year, had a hat trick. Uh, he can score from different angles. He can score from difficult positions. He's a guy that... You know, it's clinical, and those are the types of qualities you look for in a, in a, in a, in a striker right now. But also one who who can, you know, you know, help up in the in the build up play, link with others, and, and things like that. He has benefited tremendously well from having Ivan Perisic on his left. So when he when it comes to him possibly making a move to like a Real Madrid, he's going to have world class players everywhere he turns. And I feel if he was to make a move to Real Madrid. He's one of those guys that can take that next level in his career. But I think it, that's also really going to depend on, um, or not depend, but you're also going to take uh, have to keep an eye on how he does play in the summer at the World Cup with Argentina because he's finally gotten that call for the national team. And I think that was kind of one of the things that was kind of preventing him from being on the map in Europe as one of the best number nines. He has been doing it over the past several years at Inter. But the problem is Inter haven't been thriving and he hasn't been getting that national team exposure that he now finally is beginning to get. So for, for Mauro Riccardi, it looks like it's, it's – I would have probably said his future is definitely at Inter moving forward. He's pretty much said he's loved to keep uh, – loved to stay there. But it's, it's, it feels like one of those difficult situations where his agent's actually his wife. <laughs> so <laughs> if you could believe that. So um, when, it gets to, when it starts getting into that situation, uh, you kind of feel that, okay, well – Look, his wife may say, "Let's go to Real Madrid. I want to play for. I want. I want you to let's let's, let's move there and uh, let's make this next move because maybe your future is not at Inter. We want to start winning, uh, you know, the treble and start winning, you know, major silverware each year. So I, I feel that if if look if his release clause doesn't get an increase soon, he's leaving. I, I just feel that it could happen this summer. I really do. Yeah, I think uh, when you look at the English clubs at the moment, I don't think City and Les Aguero goes go for a number nine. I think they'll be looking for that kind of Alexis Sanchez-ish player, maybe a Griezmann, a Dybala that we talked about earlier, who can play a wide forward or number 10 role as they missed out on Sanchez. Arsenal are obviously not going to go for a number nine. 
Chelsea have just got Giroud and doesn't look like they're going to get a num- number nine unless I, I know Giroud's only on a 18 month contract though. So unless something weird happens and Conte leaves and Giroud goes back to France or something because he only has a year left in the summer, you know, United have got Lukaku. Mourinho has actively said that they don't want a number, uh, not a number nine, sorry, a forward in the summer. And then you look at Liverpool, Firmino has had his, you know, his breakout year in the Premier League. Although, if they did get a traditional number nine, then he could probably fill that void in in the number 10 or, or wide area. So I don't know. He's had a lot of links to the UK before, but I don't know if that's going to happen that much this summer. And I think Real Madrid are looking like the most likely option, aren't they? Yeah, I feel that, you know, with, again, everything we just touched on with Real Madrid looking probably to get a, a massive overhaul of their squad this summer. Not massive, but you're going to see some big high-profile names that are on the you know, the, the worser side of 30, if you will, possibly move on or be sold or take less roles at the club. For a guy like Mauro Riccardi, he feels like a, he would be a proper fit, you feel. But again, you mentioned earlier that maybe uh, CR7 becomes CR9, and he fills that role. So where does that leave a guy like Riccardi? Because if Riccardi's going to move, he's going to want to be the main striker. He's not going to want to be sec- play second fiddle to anyone. Even if it is Ronaldo, he's not going to want to do that. So... Maybe he stays another year, maybe enter up that release clause, and then maybe after next year he does walk. But again, it remains to be seen. I, if I had a, a uh, if I had to put some, uh, a percentage on him staying, I'd probably say it's around that sixty to seventy percent because I feel that he does want to play in the Champions League with Inter. He hasn't gotten that opportunity to do that yet, and as a captain of Inter, I feel that would be kind of one of those things where he wanted to at least owe that he owes that to them. Versus, hey, I got us here. I want to play in the Champions League with the team that I helped kind of get back to where they want to be in terms of um, one of the top clubs in Italy. So the chances of Icardi staying next season are pretty high, in my opinion, as opposed to Skriniar, which I could see him possibly leaving, although it wouldn't surprise me either way. But stranger things have happened. His release clause is at that price where a team who needs a striker for the long term definitely would want to come and trigger that because it's pretty much where the market is for a good modern, uh, modern number nine. Yeah, no, the, the market is crazy for those forwards, isn't it? And, and just touching on Milan Skriniar as well, I think the, the first time I noticed him was when Slovakia played England. He was just a colossus. As you touched on with Koulibaly earlier, there is that mad market for centre-backs at the moment. There's such a short supply of them that the ones that are really good or you know just even quite good, above average, are going to go for crazy money, aren't they? Yeah, it's it's... When look for for uh, Mauro Riccardi is not a lifer at Inter. He's given quite a bit to that team. He has been one of their long stand, long serving players. He's the captain. He's one of the. I think he's one of the top ten goals, the uh, goal, all time goal scorers at the club as well. I think that he probably wants to play another year or at least try to get to the Champions League with the team. But again, we really don't know what the future holds for either of them. I feel for the sake of Italian football. You don't want to be one of those teams that gets raided like a supermarket. I think that kind of word has been thrown around against with Roma, who have lost Mohamed Salah, they lost Rudiger in the summer. I feel if a team like Inter, although they do have some financial dif- uh, difficulties that they have to sort out, if they could somehow manage to qualify for the Champions League and keep those two players, it would be fantastic and it would, it would move waves for, for, for the future. For sure, definitely one to keep an eye on, especially with the, uh, as you said, they need to balance those books. Probably you're going to see Jao Mario leave on a, on a permanent, hopefully for them, for a, for a decent fee. And then you never know, someone could come back in for Perisic. He's almost 30 years old. 
they'll probably look to take the money there as well. But who knows? Who knows what Inter will do this summer? Uh, we'll move on. And this is not Serie A related to like directly, but it's, it's more to do with the national team. And considering the you know the Italian national team's average age, which players will form the nucleus of the next Italy team? So this has been um, the kind of one of the hot topics surrounding Italian football ever since they pretty much failed to qualify for the World Cup, which still kind of hurts. <laughs> it's, it's still not quite over it yet as we kind of get closer to the World Cup this summer. But uh, when looking at the, the nucleus of the Italian national team moving forward, there are plenty of talents, uh, plenty of, there is plenty of talent to be, to be included. And if we're going to start from um, the back, we'll obviously look at Gianluigi Donnarumma, of course, the teenage goalkeeper for AC Milan. He's been um, sensational for them ever since he broke in a couple of years ago. So he's probably going to be, or, and there's also um, uh, Mattia Perrin, who is uh, at Genoa. He's considered one of the uh, the main op- uh, heirs or possibilities to replace Gianluigi Buffon if he does not, in fact, continue to play um, for the Italian national team. Defensively, Italy's pretty much set, in my opinion. They have several good young defenders. Alessio Romagnoli, who is at Milan, he's formed a tremendous partnership with Leonardo Bonucci. He's 23, and he's really taken off as one of the best defenders, in my opinion, in Italy. Daniele Rugani is at Juve. Mattia Caldara is at Atalanta, owned by Juve. So he will be making that move in the summer. The fullbacks, they do have several decent good, uh, decent options. Davide Calabria is at Milan. Um, Antonio Barreca touched on him with um, Torino. So, those are the, so you can see kind of the, the defensive shape and how it can kind of uh, look like going forward. In the midfields, there are some concerns. I feel like there, we're still looking for some more world-class or players who can take that next step and be uh, mainstays in the starting 11 moving forward. Nicolò Barella is one of them. I feel he has a very good future with the national team. Marco Verratti, you know, one of the guys that uh, has been playing for PSG over the past several years. If you hope that he can be a pillar and uh, kind of carry this midfield because it is getting a little bit older with Marco Parolo, Daniele De Rossi. Um, up front, I think is really where the most talent is. We touched upon Pietro Pellegri, Moise Kane, and uh, of course Patrick Cutrone. But there's Federico Chiesa, who's a very, very talented winger for Fiorentina. He's pretty much replaced Federico Bernardeschi, who went to Juve this past summer. So those are some of the options that that Italy have. If you're really looking at like what the whole um, nucleus of the Italian national team is in the next couple years, and basically looking at that Euro 20, 2020. Um, but there are there is that concern about some of these players. Well, it, you know they're not getting those big moves. They're not being able to feature in big tournaments like some of these other youngsters. You know, like England, for example, or Spain. Their top twenty, twenty, and twenty-one year olds are playing in the Champions League, which is such invaluable, which is such valuable experience for for a youngster because we saw it with, you know, at at these under twenty-one tournaments. It's you need to be at these tournaments. You need to be main players at these tournaments, and you need to be playing in the biggest competitions in order to grow, to come back and be a staple player for your country. And I feel that's kind of somewhat of the concern amongst Italian national team supporters is that we have a lot of talent, but we want to get these players to be from good talents to first teamers. And how do we do that? And I think that's kind of where we um we, we, there's a little bit of like that shadow or that cloud, if you will, over that. Yeah, no, I think uh, there's obviously a lot of talent, especially in those forward areas. Again, I think I do agree with you that potentially the midfield is is where Italy have the the least depth. I mean, Marco Verratti, I think he is a really, really good player. And I, I, you know, 
do rank him probably in the top central midfielders out there. I do think, though, in the last season, maybe season and a half, I haven't actually seen that much improvement in him. And we saw when Spain played Italy what Isco kind of did to him. And uh, obviously a lot of people think Isco's a great player, but no one ever kind of puts him in that you know stratosphere of, of top, top, top midfielders. And and I think that was the, the moment when everyone was kind of like, wow, like there is actually that kind of gap between these midfielders. And I think Marco Verratti, I think, next season or maybe you know the second half of this season i know he had a bit of a injury problem earlier in the season didn't he is he going to make that next step up and maybe he scores a few more goals assists a few more goals i know that's not really his game but maybe he needs to make that next jump up to be like i am here you shouldn't be looking at uh you know paul pogba's as the best central midfielders in the world you should be looking at me yeah i feel you know i've kind of been down on verati for the past year year and a half I feel that he is a very talented player, but he's been at that he's been at that this current level for some time now. Exactly. I'm waiting I'm waiting for him to take that next step because the, the Italian national team really does need that controller in the midfield. Ever since Pirlo stepped aside, the, everyone looked to Verratti as a successor. However, he hasn't really made those leaps to be okay, he's a elite midfielder to a world-class midfielder, and that's really what the Italian national team needs. I mean, if I'm looking at the midfield moving forward, I feel a little bit more confident with a guy like Jorginho. I feel like a guy like Jorginho mm. is maybe a little bit, he's like kind of about the same age, but he hasn't been playing, you know, in that spotlight, if you will, that, that Verratti has. And really, this has been the one year where he started to get that notoriety and that, uh, that exposure from foreign markets as being a very good player. Obviously, as I just mentioned earlier with the Manchester United link, who are looking for someone to uh, replace Michael Carrick going forward, maybe that move gets Jorginho into the spotlight and then maybe Jorginho overthrows him as that kind of that, that the, the controller of the battalion national team midfield. But again, most people are looking at Verratti and they're, they're almost praying. They're saying, take that next leap. You got it. You got to improve. And I feel that, you know, he can be go down as one of those midfielders who's very good but not great, and maybe leave some of that unfilled, unfilled, uh, unfilled potential on the on the um, on the plate too long. Well, I mean, I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic in those, you know, Champions League clashes against Chelsea with with yeah. Thiago Motta as the double pivot. He was absolutely sensational in those games. I just thought maybe this summer, the one that's just passed, was the right time for him to go to Barcelona and actually learn to be part of a different system, to be that like heir to Busquets or be that next Javi. Yeah, he, you know, and, 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 and funny you mentioned that because, you know, he, he left Pescara a couple year, uh, several years ago uh, to go play for PSG on a, uh, on a moderate deal, on 12 to 14 million euro, where he's been ever since. And he's been, he's grown ex- exceptionally well over those several years, but you feel that, all right, it, it, you're not really, you're not really taking that, and you're plateauing. Your your talent is plateaued a little bit. I feel if he was to make that move to Barcelona, even if he plays under a guy like Iniesta for a year, plays along with Iniesta, trains with the guy, is around these types of players and a different system, as you just mentioned. I feel that's what he really needs to do to make that leap in his game that will help ultimately the uh, the Azzurri. But he's look. PSG don't they don't sell some of their big players unless they really willingly want to leave. We really don't see uh, some of their top guys go for big money. They sold what Lucas Digne and Blas Matuidi, but with the exception of those two, those those guys, Margali Verratti, he likes it in Paris. He's getting paid well, and you know he's playing regular Champions League football and he's competing for the Ligue uh, Ligue 1 trophy every year. 
But if, if we're talking about taking that next, next step from a personal standpoint, Barcelona would be a great destination for him. I don't, just don't see why he doesn't want to make that move. But for whatever reason it is, maybe he's content with what he's got. And that's maybe, um, you know, Barcelona is something that he's considering down the line. But really don't know. For me, I'd love to see him make that step as much as, you know, I'd love to see him come to Italy. I just feel that if he was to make that step to Barcelona, it would move to tremendously well for the, now, the Italian national team. Yeah, I think in a way, like if PSG do get a, a new coach with new ideas in the summer, I, I just don't see I don't see Emery staying there beyond the summer. I think in today's game, this is Saturday, uh, they've just won four two. I'm not sure who against, but his name was announced in the speakers, and he was booed by the Parisian fans, which is obviously like quite ominous. I don't think he's going to be there in the summer. Who comes in? That that's remains to be seen. I, I don't know. Maybe it's Arsene Wenger if he doesn't stay at Arsenal, uh, which probably you know he's probably going to stay and never going to leave. <laughs> <is he>? uh, <laughs> being an Arsenal fan, um, uh, like you know, we mentioned Marasari before, uh, Allegri. There's so many coaches. Conte as well. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti is still looking for a team. If there is that new tactician, that new Tinkerman that comes in. And actually evolves him as a player. You know, who who knows? We we could see him as become like becoming the 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 main man for Italy alongside Lorenzo Insigne, potentially creating that double pivot with Jorginho as he did so successfully with Thiago Motta. Because as I mentioned in those clashes against Chelsea, they were just phenomenal, especially when they went down to ten men. Yeah, yeah, I think that's you know he look he he has I think he's one of those players where you know he there's a lot of a lot of potential there's a lot of untapped potential still in him and it's kind of crazy to say that because he has been playing for PSG for several years now and he has been a main fixture in the Italian national team for several years but I think that you know again for him to take that next step I feel that he has to really kind of go outside of Paris and you know just not to kind of shoot down the quality or the uh, the level of play of in France but I feel that if he's if he, for him to make that growth in his game He's got to get outside of France. I feel that the competition's not on the same level as in England or as a Spain. If he was to make that move to Barcelona, I feel like that really would be um, the big move to get him to that next, uh, to get him into that upper echelon of midfielders. Yeah, totally agree. But I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with Paris. And especially, you know, you, you never know with PSG. You've got Thiago Silva probably leaving quite soon. Danny Alves is old. Uh, we mentioned this on the, the French football podcast that we did. Neymar, is that a long-term thing? You never know when this project is going to kind of unfold potentially just because players don't really want to stay in that league. But we'll, we'll see where that takes us, really. We'll move on to the next question. This is back to Juventus and a player that was linked heavily to Chelsea before they've just bought Emerson. Uh, from Roma and uh, the question is will Alexandro stay at Juventus past this season so for Alexandro it's 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 funny because for pretty much all of last year he was one of the top three left backs in football I think Marcelo um, you know even some people threw in Felipe Luis at Atletico Madrid maybe that's not where he is right now but more or less, you've looked at, you know, Brazil, the Brazilian national team had had several options to bring to Russia. And, you know, we looked at Alexandro. He really had a breakout year at Juventus last year as one of their main guys. Could pretty much do everything on the attacking and good defender, very skilled getting up and down the pitch. But somehow uh, you kind of get this, this feeling that he's with his struggles this year, 
and that interest abroad, it just only seems like fitting that he gets sold for 60, 70 million because that, that's what seems like the offer is, the offer was for, for him from Chelsea. However, with, with Juve getting um, Leonardo Spinazzola from Atalanta this, this summer, they, he actually, they actually own him. He's on loan at Atalanta. It, it kind of raises the question, okay, well, if we're going to bring in a, one of the guys like this, this guy's not going to be a backup. He's younger. He's Italian. He's going to be part of the Italian national team. Salandro is one of those players where he's going to command, they're going to command big money for, and you, you feel that his future is not at Juve. I feel like he's, one of these, he's been with them for a couple of years. He has done well, but I feel that at his age, there's a good chance that he does move on. And I feel that it's almost, for most Juventini who would be probably listening to this, they'd probably agree that his, he's probably going to leave in the summer. I just feel that with based on who Juve is targeting for the defense and for some of the wide roles, it just doesn't seem like Alexandro is the biggest, uh, would be the biggest guy to uh, stay for them. What what are some of the potential destinations then? Matt? Well, for Alexandro, I mean, I think that you know when, when you look at Chelsea, you know they got Emerson, so you kind of get kind of looks to a little bit of a difficult spot there. Obviously, they do have Marcos Alonso, so maybe there's the possibility that Alonso doesn't stay, and maybe Alonso moves on. Now, all of a sudden, they work with Emerson and Alexandro as their two main guys because Emerson's a very very skilled and very fantastic. Uh, excuse me, a fantastic left back, but he is still coming back from an injury. Um, that he suffered at the end of last year with Roma. He does have tremendous uh, tremendous ability. I'm not saying anything about that, but there is some possible, there is some little slight concern there that maybe would force Chelsea into looking to get a, uh, another option that can give him a kind of alleviate some of that pressure for him to have to step in. Emerson, I'm talking about to step in and be the main guy because we really don't know what type of player Emerson is going to be post injury. So I feel Chelsea is still the logical destination. But I mean, it, it, you know, is is Luke Shaw one of the options that uh, that Manchester United feel is the is the, the solution moving forward? Maybe Alexandro moves to Manchester United, so he's going to have options. Um, I, I wouldn't surprise me either way if maybe a team like uh, PSG comes in. They got money, as you just mentioned, with Dani Alves being, of course, he plays on the right side, but getting getting older, they may look to get a shake up and to add some uh, younger blood there. So, uh, Alexandro, those would just be some of the other destinations he could possibly uh, wind up at. Yeah, with PSG as well. I mean, Kazawa is so he's he's just so inconsistent yeah. in terms of his form. Great going forward, but just can be such a liability. And I think Yuri, the uh, reserve left back, is is most definitely a backup. Um, Luke Shaw, I just, whatever Mourinho says about him, whenever he comes out and says something positive, you just can't believe it. I'm personally, led to believe that even if he signs this contract extension, I could see Luke Shaw still going in the summer. It's just because, like, when Mourinho did the whole public shaming of him like early on in the season and at the back end of last season, you know, calling him unfit when he first came to Manchester United. It was, it's just strange. I just don't think he can ever get over that. Luke Shaw's always going to have that feeling in his stomach that, you know, this manager doesn't really like me and I'm not going to win him over with, with, you know, any ease. And I think he's still young. He still could go to a, you know, Tottenham are probably going to lose Danny Rose this season. I don't think they're going to go into the next season with just um, Ben Davis. I think they will be probably looking at a left back. There could be some sort of swap deal there, which could then see Danny Rose at Manchester United and uh, Luke Shaw potentially at Tottenham. And then that would probably fill that void. They'd probably look into get more of a 
you know a backup left back if you if you bring in someone of Danny Rose's caliber so then it does kind of look like you know maybe we are looking at a PSG maybe you know uh, I mean Marcelo is getting on as well at Real Madrid uh, although they do have uh, Theo Hernandez don't they so it does look like PSG is probably the most likely destination but as you said Marcus Alonso there were some recent links with Barcelona I think uh, so you know you never know what could happen in football, do you? No, it's it's it, with with the transfer market. It's kind of a little bit of like a carousel. Even if a guy like Marcos Alonso, who I feel has done a pretty good job at Chelsea, all things considered, he's not a guy that's going to stay long term. And I feel if it, you know if if a team like Barcelona wants him as maybe like kind of like a rotation option to kind of maybe fill in for Jordi Alba or, or someone like that, I feel like they're it's that's that would be like a decent move for them. And I feel you know you're going to look at some of these players that kind of periodically move. Alexandro seems like one of those guys that's going to slide in and he has to be a starter else, so elsewhere. He can't be a backup when you're spending $60 million on the guy. So Alexandro, when you talked about Kurzawa, it feels that PSG would be the optimal fit. But again, always Chelsea is in the background just because you really don't know what type of player Emerson is going to be in these next six months. If he does impress and he does a tremendously good job for them, then maybe they go with Emerson for the beginning of next season. But also that depends on who the coach is. So it remains to be seen. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, one of those transfer sagas that was just all over the papers last summer and even in January. But we'll we'll see where that one goes. We're moving on to the last question, though, Matt. And uh, yeah, we've been speaking for quite a, quite a long time now. It's been been really informative, really good so far. And uh, it's it's a question about one of your favourite players, Luca Torreira. And uh, the question reads as follows: Who would you rate as the best player outside the top six clubs? And I've kind of written in brackets here. I know you're a massive fan of Luca Torreira, dot, 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 dot. It's funny. I I would probably say, if this is me, it's probably a little bit of bias. But I've watched the guy quite a bit enough to to feel confident in my assessment of him as being that good of a player. I'd probably say Lucas Torreira. I I feel that at at 22 years old, I mean, this kid is, is... He's got braces. He's he's balling out every single week for Sampdoria, who has been one of the more exciting teams in Italy, and they're kind of growing into that mold as like a hipster club because they have so many young players from all over the world that they've developed, and they're becoming really good players for them. Lucas Torreira, he he does everything that you look for in that regista role. He breaks up play. He over the top. He has the long ball, the pinpoint pinpoint cross pinpoint crosses. He can play it on the ground. He does. He has the, the quick the quick pivoting. All these different things that you look for from that position, it's it's clear why there's so much attraction and so much uh, appeal with him. He he has interest from Juve. He has interest from Roma. Napoli looked like they were reportedly going to put in a big offer for him as they would sell Amadou Diawara abroad to England. So that's gives you a little bit of an idea of how highly these teams rate Lucas Torreira. He's even had interest from Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. When you look at a guy with his with his with his age, with his ability in that role, he's ready for the big bucks. And a team like Sampdoria, they're going to sell this summer. He's definitely going to leave for sure. And they're getting quite the talent in him. And if you want a, a couple look good, notable performances to look at, look at his performance early on in the season against Juve, where Samp beat them at home. Fantastic performance. Scored a great goal just controlled the midfield and really made some of Juventus's players look silly, to say the least. <laughs> a couple of questions for me. I've read a few things that potentially, you know, led me to believe that he actually has a buyout clause. Is that true? 
Yeah, he actually has a very low buyout clause it's for like 25 someone million euros or something 20, like that, isn't it? 25 million euros. And I think that was kind of what made, um, you know, teams jump, chomp at the bit for him because you're looking at 25 million euro for a 22 year old of his ability. Um, that's, that's a bargain. We talked about that with Mertens, but Mertens is almost 30. When you look at a guy who's 22 years old playing in that position, 25 million is a modern day bargain. And I, I'm assuming that Sampdoria is going to do everything in their power to extend him with a up uh, increased release clause just to kind of protect themselves because 25 million euros is a, 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 a robbery, isn't it? That's 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 robbery for sure, <laughs> especially especially for a team like Atletico Madrid. I mean, they they had a bid reportedly of, of 40 50 million, which doesn't make any sense if his release clause is 25. So <laughs> my guess is that Samp is going to re up his clause to make it a little bit more um, uh, to protect themselves so they can kind of replenish their team, which hopefully, which most likely is going to get raided in the summer. Um, just, just to be honest with you, but uh, Lucas Torreira is the top, in my opinion, the, the, the best player out of the top six, for sure. I just think he checks off off the, all, checks off all the boxes in that central, uh, the central defensive midfield role that you really look for. So who, who are the favorites to land this uh, coveted talent? Well, right now, if Napoli can put in a big offer, um, that that gives me some reason to believe that if they're selling Amadou Diawara, then maybe they're they could possibly lose a guy like Jorginho, and they maybe see Torreira as the long term option. So I feel like Napoli right now look to be um, one of the front runners. But I, if I if I had to really say, I feel it's still going to be Atletico Madrid. He really does fit the mold of that uh, that uh, that Spanish midfielder if you will, kind of at a team like Atletico Madrid, who, um, you know, would, would benefit tremendously well from a guy like him at the base. He's also from Uruguay as well. So, you know, there's that uh, anti- um, Diego Simeone link, isn't there? And that leads me to my second question, which is, do you think he'll be starting for Uruguay in the summer? Um, it, it remains to be seen. He'll definitely, if, if I hope he gets called up by Oscar Tavares for the World Cup. But you know that it's 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 strange because uh, Tavares has been going with some of his main guys, and I feel regardless of whether or not Lucas Torreira is deserving of a starting role, he's at the very least should have been called up by now, which I feel is definitely going to come soon. So I don't think he's going to start because I feel that Tavares has kind of his his formation, everything kind of li- uh, lined up for the World Cup. But again, an injury here or or, or a slip in play from one of his main guys could kind of see Lucas Torreira slide right in. And it would be some year for him for to see to see a guy of his caliber grow to be a, one of the top young under twenty three midfielders in the world and star at a World Cup before making a big move. That, I mean, that would be just like a Probably fairy tale for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, I, I think he, he looks an absolutely fantastic talent from what I've seen of him, which isn't much, I'll have to admit. But oh, I'm trying to think of players to compare him to. He looks like a kind of a Marco Verratti. Yeah. Who, a much bigger engine and uh, more tenacious as well in the tackle. Yeah, he's 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 been constantly compared to like a, a Uruguayan Marco Verratti, which <laughs> you know, right now, right now, I mean, that would be a pretty good ceiling. But I feel that you know, probably Lucas Torreira's. I, I mean, there's a possibility that he done, does become better than Verratti, which is pretty high praise for me. But I feel on the right system, this guy can be something special. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's maybe a strange one because he's he's so small in stature that sometimes the Premier League teams are probably going to look away from a player of that size just, you know, because he isn't that big. And you look at the players that Real Madrid bought in, for example, 
you look at uh, Paul Pogba and uh, Nemanja Matic, these big, big, powerful guys, Romelu Lukaku. I mean, I know um, Alexis Sanchez is, you know, five six five seven, but it's still really strong and robust. And Luca Torreira, I think to play in central midfield in England as someone who's like, how tall is he? Like five 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 six. Yeah, he's he's very small. That's why I just don't see you know an England move for him. I feel yeah. he's he's just an ideal fit to probably stay in Italy. And there will be several teams interested in Italy. Of course, I just mentioned Napoli, Roma have been linked. Um, there were some talks about Milan. Juve could look to get a guy like him as well. But I, if I had to say again, he's he just feels like a, a perfect fit in Spain. Yeah, no, I think um, that that Atleti and Simeone link just is such a strong pull as well and you know Atletico really do need to sort that midfield trio out or if they are playing the 4-4-2 because when they do play 4-4-2 they've got Koke out on the left and he's again another player like Verratti who just has been on the same constant level for the last two seasons and uh, Atletico Madrid are a team that probably are going to look for that central midfielder as well as probably uh, you know a replacement for Griezmann probably a centre-half considering Godin's age and maybe even a goalkeeper considering how many teams are after Jan Oblak so uh, probably a big shake up in Madrid from both teams especially in that central midfield area for Atleti considering how old um, Gabby is Uh, (laughs) and you know Luca Torreira for that money just seems like such a perfect substitute 100% 100% absolutely agree with you I think it would be the the, the, the right move for him I think he's he's not going to stay at Samp and uh, a, a, a fit in Spain it just makes too much sense mm, for sure well Matt it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you and you've you've spoken so so well about Serie A in Italy and I know it pains you to talk about the Italian national team considering you guys didn't get <laughs> into the World Cup but at least like you know us England fans, we get to see our team for like three games and then we go out. Like, so at least you don't have that pain of of, of going out in the group stages. Well, I've seen it. T- I've seen it all too much over the past two World Cups. So, <laughs> but man, honestly, it's been a pleasure to have you. And uh, where can people find out more about what you've been doing? And where can people find out more about you in general? So, you, obviously, I'm I'm very active on Twitter. You can follow me there at Matt underscore Santangelo. I tweet out all my articles, all my opinions. Everything is there. But if you're looking for some of my specific work um, with my affiliates, it's uh, Italian Football Daily, Football Italia, and some of my long-form features can be found at These Football Times and The Gentleman Ultra. Thank you very much, man. And uh, obviously, if you guys our new listeners, do subscribe to the podcast. And if you're looking for more Football Index-related content, and, you know, sometimes you know general football content to give you guys that you know next level of knowledge from guys like matt and and peter rutzler who can give you that insight of of certain players who are on the index then do you know subscribe to my youtube channel as well and you know follow me on twitter if you haven't done already thank you very much matt pleasure to be on thank you so much